it's actually fascinating to hear genuinely real people have a conversation <laughs> rather than Twitter bots and whatever is on the oh, news. Oh, I'm not real. Oh, no, I know you're fake. <laughs> like my vote can be bought. <laughs> Everything can be bought with enough money. We know what you are. We're just negotiating the price. Yeah. Yeah. At what point am I allowed again to say, you're both f***ing as bad as each other? Wherever you are, whatever country, you're both dickheads because you're politicians. At the end yeah. of the day, that's what you are. You're not to be trusted whatever side of the aisle you're on. Oh, God. I, go with that. I mean, I, I have my own political leanings, but I don't trust any, any No, trust none of them. Don't trust a single one of them. They're all full of shit. Yep, don't care what colour tie they were. Actually, they all come out of Congress, and they're all rich. How does that rich. work? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're over here. They've all come out of private educated schools and go into Parliament. But either way, don't tell me you have a fucking clue what it's like at the minute to try and live on bare minimum wage when you're working 14 hours a day. And, but when you're claiming hundreds a week on fucking expenses. That's the first. If I was in charge, the first thing I would do is stop politicians claiming expenses. Full stop. Cross the board. I would allow them to have a train ticket to London if they didn't have a flat in London for, you know, important parliamentary meetings. But if they want to travel first class, they pay that difference themselves. And if they've got an apartment in London as well as a house, if you've got an apartment in London, you don't claim expenses at all because you're here. Come on the tube like everyone else does. That's Andy, Andy Leyland's Bicentennial Minute. <laughs> You're supposed to say you approve this message, you money-grabbing bastards. The one thing I do get a kick out of just before, and we got to get off this topic soon, but we, during the commercials, like when they when they are the actual mudslinging commercials, and they show the picture of the guy they're trying to sling the mud at, and they have it darkened and it's and a black show and him white. from like yeah, and yeah. they show him like like at a really sinister angle and stuff. And, I, I and, get a big kick out of that. And and they've got the finger up. They got the Harrison Ford finger up, and they're yelling at somebody. Ah, yeah, usually in slow motion. Where am I? The Voyager cast. Who are you? The second in command. What do you want? To cover every iteration of Star Trek. I will not watch Voyager, Enterprise, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, or Discovery. My life is my own. By hook or by crook, you will. I am not a prisoner of your podcast whims. Alright, you want to do the prisoner? Alright then. The Village People, an exploration of the prison. With Paul Spataro, Dave Pascarella, Bill Robinson, and Andrew Lamb. <laughs> Hello everybody, and welcome to the Village People. We look at every single episode of Patrick McEwan's 60s seminal classic psychodrama, The Prisoner. And we are the Village Idiots, and we approve this message. Today's episode is A, B, and C, in which number two is once again Colin Gordon. Only one other actor would return to the role of number two trivia buffs. It was written by Anthony Skeen and directed by Pat Jackson. It originally aired on ITV February 13th of October 1967 
where it commanded nearly 11 million viewers. And it first aired in America on the CBS network on Saturday, the 22nd of June, 1968. The synopsis runs thus. Andy, uh, are you doing a show by yourself? No, no, we're the village idiots. People don't need to know anything else, do they? Okay. <laughs> oh, all right then. God, some people want the movement. Well, the sun, don't they? in all fairness, and joining you are A, B, and C. Now go yeah, on. That, there you go. <laughs> I completely forgot to introduce you. I'm so sorry. Anyway, I am joined by A, Paul Spataro. Hello. I guess that makes me B, Mr. B, a. Dave Pasker, Mr. Ed. That's what B looked like to me, Mr. Ed. And our very own C-lister, Dr. Bill Robinson. On today's program, we have drugs, dreams, deception, and a little D. Excuse me? (laughs) Sounds like a party in Washington, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bill was dying to give that intro, and you weren't willing to introduce I was still waiting. I'm like, ah, wait a minute. We have been doing this for so long at this point, I completely forgot that we haven't introduced ourselves. In all fairness, we've had a long break in between episodes this time. We have. That's true. That's very true. Anyway, it's a synopsis for this one. To steal information from the prisoner, they manipulate his mind. So this is your wonder drug? Yes. His mind is now yours. What do you want from it? Why he resigned? I believe that he was going to sell out. I want to know what he had to sell and to whom he was going to sell it. I'm for B. She even looks like a spy. You're a very good one from a long line of spies. Tell him he'll kill me. I don't believe in you. He'll kill me! Watch this channel for the next exciting adventure of The Prisoner. No one will ever see me. I will. I want to know who I'm selling out to. Why did the prisoner resign from his highly confidential job? The desperate efforts to extract the truth from him take a new turn when number two decides to take the risk of subjecting him to an experimental process in which dreams can be penetrated. Under the influence of a wonder drug, his subconscious thoughts can be converted into electrical impulses and finally into pictures on a television screen. Ooh. Yeah. Um, number two is Colin God. As I mentioned, he returns. Mm-hmm. There is also another number two in this episode. Uh, oh. Yes, Georgina Cookson, who plays yes, number yes, two yes. in many happy returns, is at one of the parties. Yep, she's she's uh, you know the the blonde lady that that got his apartment. Yeah, and um, his car and all that. In uh, yes, I didn't notice because all British people look alike to me. <laughs> But they've all got different accents. One of them's French, dude. <laughs> oh. So that throws out the interesting question. Has many happy returns happened at this point and he's inserted her into his dream? Well, if you go by the viewing order we're using, then yeah. So, 
Or could it be that she has some, you know, that she did travel in some of the same circles as him and he was just unaware of it? Very possible. Could all be subconscious because it's a dream sequence and the dream sequence always rings thrice. Hmm. I just thought it was interesting. This was our two number twos in it. Well, in the original viewing order, Many Happy Returns happens later. Yes. But in the original viewing order, doesn't this come before the general? <laughs> yeah, this is the third episode in the original. This, this so comes... that, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's much better with these two back to back with the yes. general and, and then this. Because it really plays into that opening scene where he gets the phone call. Oh, man, and, and he's sucking milk. Yeah, and he's very, and he's very. Yeah, I know I'm not expendable, and you're like, yeah, shit, no, no shit, Sherlock. There's been three of you already. <laughs> so there's there's that. So that plays into it much better if you watch these two back to back. That and there's actually some continuity though that he's actually because this falls into the subsection of prisoner episodes, which there are quite a few. There's no escape. There's none of that going on. It is literally how much can number six mind fuck number two. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Dag- it is. Dagger of the mind's eye. Yeah, there's, and there's quite a few like this, where that is literally the point of the episode. How much can he just mind mess with number two to the point where he makes number two just crack? Which I think is good because it breaks up, you know, it's not... He escapes, he gets brought back, he escapes, he gets brought back. He's like, he, he gets little victories in his... He, he's still a prisoner, but he's fighting within the system mm-hmm. an inspiration to us all yeah yeah that whole idea of individual individualism versus falling in step with everybody else which is essentially what the show's about mm-hmm. so that that's quite interesting and there's quite a few that come up as so do we up. so since we just saw this number two uh previously previously yeah on the village people um <laughs> let's try <laughs> Um, anybody have any alternate choices? I mean, for our number two, of course, my catch-all for him, for Mr. Gordon, is always Terry Thomas. But I do have yeah. some other selections. Uh, should but I go first I, this time? Oh, well, sorry. you do that in a minute? Just remind me, did I pick Toby Jones? Oh, last time? I Because it, it is a long time since we recorded. And I, I yeah. was thinking of somebody who does sweaty, you know, losing losing it really oh, well. Gotta... I, I got to hope Jones does that. Yeah. But I couldn't remember if I already picked him. I, I think, I think you, you did, actually. Right, okay. I'll come up with somebody else then while Bill tells us I, his pick. Oh, 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 oh whatever. You you toss a card. Choose who you want to go right, I got so this. If it lands on the edge, it's Dave. This time I'm going to cede to Bill and let him give first. Go ahead. Uh, who does number two work? Who does number two work for? That's right, buddy. You show that turd who's boss. All right. I've got two choices, uh, which not really. They would be more modern uh, because they're not old enough to have been in this. That would be Rowan Atkinson. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Um, And Michael Emerson from Lost. Oh, that's a good one. Ben Linus. Oh, Post of Interest. Yes, yes, because yes. Michael Emerson can do, you know, <laughs> he can do calm, cool, and he can do 
oh shit, I'm going to get my ass handed to me. I, you know, I think he would be, those two would be good. So that's my choices. And if you hear a dog howling, it's okay. It's just my dog howling. <laughs> so I went with, uh, in the, in the past, I went with Leo G. Carroll. Was he over a barrel? He got <laughs> no. caught in a cellular chair. <laughs> not, not that I can recall. I think he, I think he plays the, uh, like kind of the corporate government flunky really well, uh, and I'm picturing him in North by Northwest uh, when I do that. Uh, for for recent only because I'd like to see him in the role, uh, just to see him sweating and, and doing it. I have Alec Baldwin. Oh yeah. You're not seen enough of him sweating on TV recently. <laughs> <laughs> as long as he doesn't shoot McGowan. Uh. I uh, I went with an old schooler, John Fielder. Oh yeah. Best known for Piglet? the voice of Piglet. Yeah. And uh, for a or, or Red one, Jack. <laughs> yes, yes. Or Alan Cumming. Hmm. From Goldeneye. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Wolverine, Night- not Wolverine, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Yeah. Yes, all excellent choices. Uh, in the past, I went for Martin Landau. So uh, we got the North by Northwest connection going. Yeah, because in, 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 there's an episode of Space 1999 where he, he does sweaty panic really well. He actually so does it. sweaty panic in North by Northwest very yes, well. Yes, So I thought he would be able to, to pull that off. Uh, modern day, you know, I was actually thinking of going, uh, when we were talking about Game of Thrones before we came out, and I went with Ty Tennant, who is David Tennant's son, who's been in a couple of things, War of the Worlds, and he's in Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon. And I thought, he looks like he could pull this off, because he's quite a good young actor. Hmm. And I like the idea of putting somebody that young up against number six. Hmm. I, you know, what you need to do if you're going to put somebody that young, I think you really have to... Uh, have him somehow outthink number two. You know, you, you, I think you want to want, want to reverse it. You want to have un, number two actually underestimate him because of his youth. Yes, yeah. because if, he, if he's just yeah. taught a lesson and he, he's just you know your you know your typical spoiled young person who who you know gets spanked in the end, uh, I think that's really not all that compelling. But if he comes in. And he does something that number two underestimates and puts number two behind the eight ball, but then somehow number two gets to turn it around again. That could be pretty interesting to watch. Mm. Anyway, there were our picks. Let us know in the comments below. Oh, we don't do YouTube, do we? But we're gonna have com- we will have comments uh, when the episodes post on the on the Facebook page. So people can comment after they listen to the episode and hopefully share some uh, discussion on, you know, the the actual episode of The Prisoner as well as the episode of The Village People. Yep. Very good. Okay. So that's our usual pick-in. What did we think of this one? Excellent. I think this one is kind of dependent on you being able to accept that they have the technology they claim that they have to be in your dreams and to manipulate where it goes. 
to you know to see where you know what your choices are and if you can accept that premise then I, I find it to be a really interesting concept and I, I like the fact that you know they're doing the same thing with multiple choice it's not just okay what happened let's just see it it's let's give him the you know the, the prodding to send him in a certain direction and see what he does and then again much like I was just saying as far as if he was ever against a, a very young person it's nice to see him just kind of turn the tables on them in the end and that was kind of cool so I enjoyed the episode yes for me, it was a total recall. But they go into his head and they plant the memory in there and then see how he reacts to it. I didn't mm. have any I didn't have any believability with them being able to do that. I mean, maybe in 1960 something. Yes. But, you know, just as watching it, I, it worked for me. Well, this is this is inception before inception. Yeah. Way before. I did find it funny how the implanted people were A, B, and C, while the people that are real, quote unquote, are all numbers. Ah, we're all just numbers and letters in some form or another. Mm, National insurance numbers. I, I like the, the the change of pace of it. I like that we we essentially an awful lot of this doesn't take place in the village. It's all taking place in these. Alternative scenarios that he could have gone down after he resigned. So a lot of it is, I mean, it's all backlot stuff. You can quite clearly see they're just on the MGM backlot, and there's very little location footage in Port Marion in this one. But it was nice to get him out of the the village and put him in a tux and see what he's up to, and see him being obnoxious to everybody outside of the village, and to see him in you know in his you know his in his element to see you know at least in his mind, what he was doing before he was in the village. Mm. So, you know, it gives you, gives you a little bit more of a background on him than, than we've gotten in any other episode in its own way. It's, a, it's again, it's a, and I said it before, I believe, it's like the Buck Rogers episode where he sees himself back on Earth before he went into space. Uh, see, I'm thinking that one's the probe one, but it isn't, is it? He actually makes contact with his old girlfriend, doesn't he? Yeah, and he's, his mom is there, and yeah. the letter carrier is coming to deliver the mail. I like the the first dream sequence is interesting because A, suspect A, is Peter Bowles. Do you guys know who Peter Bowles is? I recognize him. But I'm not 100. Peter Bowles started his career doing serious dramatic stuff like this. And he's in this, and he's in Space 1999. He's in loads of stuff. And then in the, the like the early 70s, he decided to change direction. And then primarily from that point, he's just a comedy actor. And he's in Only When I Laugh was a sitcom set in Hospital. And he's in To the Man of Born. He was in that for a couple of years. And the Irish RM. And he just did sitcoms for the rest of his life. He just decided to do comedy. So it's really weird now that I grew up watching him just do comedies. And then you go back. It's like the Leslie Nielsen thing. And then you go back and see him in his early part of his career. And he's actually a proper serious dramatic actor. Hello? Hello? Did you all die then? No, you just killed the show. I just killed it. What I liked about the conversation with him was he's a he's a turncoat, isn't he? 
Yes. He's, he's actually yeah, he's crossed over to the other side. And six is is I love it just McGowan's just brilliant. You know, he just plays disdain of people. And he has that conversation with him where he's clearly like, Are you gonna piss off at some point and stop talking to me like we're friends? I loved all that. I loved his conversation about um we do the same jobs and he's like, Yeah, but we do it for different reasons. And then you're wondering at that point, is this one of the reasons that he did quit? Because they have this conversation where uh, he over he still overrates absolute truth. And so there's this idea that he has this, that Six has got this kind of internal moral code. And he's suddenly finding that in the late 60s, he's doing things a lot more ambiguous than mm. perhaps there were before. You know, like in World War Two and coming out of World War Two, you're like, you knew who the bad guys were. And now it's not perhaps as clear cut. And maybe that's one of the reasons that he quit. So Six doesn't want to become A. Yeah, basically. So that uh, his com- his meeting and his dream was more interesting because it actually shed some light on who he was before he ended up here. Because once, and it's not going to surprise anyone who's listening, once he turns the tables on two, which he does, he's suddenly in control again. And whilst the show is always fun to see when Six is in total control because he does it so well, it's also interesting when he's on the back foot a little bit. I find that doesn't quite know what's going on. Yeah, when he's not as in control as everything as he should be, and he's just reacting to it but still comes out on top because he's quite smart. So I found the first dream sequence more interesting for that conversation. It It shed a little bit more background on who he was before this. Well, one thing I caught, uh, which this this is one the thing I was mentioning before we started that I caught a term that I've only really picked up from listening to you, and that's calling a raincoat a Mac. Yeah, Be- because when the guys come in, it this kind of starts like a horror movie. They're bringing a body in from out of the rain into a laboratory, and and then this woman's like, take take your take 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 your Mac and your boots off, and I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard Andy say that. Yeah, all right. Because yeah, it's you, Joe Macintosh. He's he's not nearly as crazy as we thought he was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I am. <laughs> but it was it was it, it was a much different opening. You know, like you said, there's no Port Marion shots like we normally see, and it's and it's all, you know, it's like okay, what's going on? What is this body they're bringing in? Oh, it's number six. It's number six in a bag. <laughs> and he's sleeping. But not not a body back. Well, they did out of. It was hard to tell because it was it, it had a bit of a Frankenstein vibe there with the with the thunder and the lightning and and they roll them in and they just plop them down and go to town. We jump mm-hmm. right in. Yeah, so it, the actual setup of it's interesting. I also like that the nurse or the doctor, she's probably a doctor, the scientist woman, she's clearly in this for the science of it, mm-hmm. and she's actually quite a little bit uneasy with what Number Two is asking her to do. So yeah. that that comes into the whole. Well, why have you invented this thing that can do this then? It was interesting that, when he when he opened his eye. Yeah. When he o- opened his eyes and on the screen behind him, then she's looking at her. You know, you're you're seeing his perspective, hmm. and she's on the screen. It's also interesting the way they they play with you in each of the dream sequences. It's a different vibe at the party. 
in one of them it's all classical music and what you expect this kind of thing to be and the next one it's more poppy and upbeat and more pop art and 60s well was that more the third one when he's taken some control because that yeah, was like maybe. they had the dutch angles and the he's you know, everybody's like snapping their fingers and walking through hey groovy yeah and <laughs> <laughs> well that's what was going on it was also interesting as well that they're trying to make out that the ending is going to be this big surprise but I do wonder why they made Colin Gordon wear his glasses under glasses the mask, under the mask. <laughs> it's like hmm, who could that be yeah, yeah I, I mean I don't think Dubby's voice everybody saw that coming I think yeah that was, only he didn't see that but again he doesn't know that Six knows what's going on he doesn't know that he's onto him but i think having him wear the glasses was a bit silly especially when they dubbed his voice to make him out to be somebody else but it's still it wasn't the biggest reveal that it could have been because of that rather silly decision they also i don't know if you noticed in the opening credits that he doesn't say the new number two yes so this must come this must come after the general because he's not the new number two. He's been number two in the previous episode. Yeah, I'm wondering why they chose the order they did, or at least, you know, as we watch it, I kind of think about that. And I wonder if they didn't do it just because this does give you a little bit more of him as, as the, you know, the active spy mm. uh, and gives you a little, you know, a little bit more of a background into him. Uh, so they might have felt like it was better to get that on the table early. And, and maybe have the uh, you know the audience. I don't know. I, I don't think the proper term would be relate to him, but maybe have the audience just kind of accept him and, and feel comfortable with him. I mean, sometimes it's just the episode that the the network feels is going to get a higher rating that they have. It's that one always first. that. <laughs> it's not sometimes. It's always that. But the question is, did you know why did they think that? But also as well in this show. It was also which episodes were ready. This one is all on sets, all on the back lot. There's not a lot of location footage going on. Maybe this one was just cut together earlier. They didn't have to CGI anything. Yeah, there was no CG in this one, no. <laughs> no CG even, weather balloon. No, even, even the shots of McGowan at Port Merion are either stock shots or is in front of a backdrop. The, when, the uh, other thing I, I liked about the ending was Magoo's breaking of the fourth wall, where he is, Bill and I, <laughs> yeah. Bill probably got this because I did as well. He's setting up the last episode here. We have to show them who he is. It will be very disappointing for the people that are watching. <laughs> and I thought that is, if he knew what the last episode was when he wrote that, or when he performed that, I am dead impressed. If he didn't, it works even better. Yeah, that. See, breaking the fourth wall before Deadpool, before, before she Magnum, before Moonlighter. Yeah, the monkeys knew they were in a TV show. People who are saying that She-Hulk is the most meta piece of television ever made. No, it isn't. That last episode of She-Hulk, the second season of Moonlighting, ended in exactly the same way. Just saying. When uh, B is calling for help. And she's being voiced by the doctor, so to speak. 
all I kept hearing was Spock, help me, Spock. <laughs> Do you know the other thing I liked about this one? And it's sad that I, I noticed this. When you've grown up like we have over the past 20, 30 years, where everything is geared towards the WB audience, isn't it nice to see parties populated by adults? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not like 20-year-olds playing 16. Everyone at this party looks like they've lived a bit. Everyone at this party looks like they've had a life. Everyone at this party looks like they've drank a little bit of alcohol and not got drunk. Everyone here was great. Everyone must be like in their early 30s, mid 30s at the least. So it was nice to see something populated by adults. They actually have jobs and money that they've earned themselves. Yeah. All, all of that. I, I don't know that's something that I've brought to it because there's a lot of stuff like Game of Thrones and everything that was populated by adults. But it, it seems to me there's an awful lot of modern television was geared towards that WB audience, the Smallville, the Buffies, the, all of that stuff. To actually go back and watch that in the 60s they were making TV that had for adults that starred adults. I don't know that I should have noticed it. Or maybe it was only me that noticed it. I don't know. No, I've I've uh, I've seen it. It's because we're old. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> You're old. There's people like me on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing is, most of these people are probably younger than us now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there, there is that that kind of just dynamic where you see pictures of people, you know, in the '60s and they're like 20 years old and they look like they're 50. God, yeah. The, the, the realization that somebody like um, the guy, your diabetes guy that you're always taking the piss out of was in Cocoon. He was only he was only in his like uh, late forties. Yeah, he was in his late forties when he did Cocoon, and you're like, Jesus, dude, you look ninety here. It's like Ernest Borgnine looked forty throughout his entire career from being twenty years age, and then all of a sudden he looks sixty. Yeah. He went from 40, years, though, 40 to 60 to 80. That was yeah. his, his entire arc. How did that happen? So, yeah, there is, I suppose there is some of that. I, I think McGowan looks, I don't know how old McGowan was here. Was he about 40, 42? I you can see he was in that age range. I'll, yeah, he's I'll, around I'll that, that age bracket. Whilst you can see while he's in the tuxedo and the party scene, you can see why they were interested in him for Bond in terms of he looks the part. But uh, he's a lot more, he's a bit more caustic than Bond, isn't he? He's not as charming. And I don't think he could do that kind of thing. Because he's just not interested he, in people's bullshit. I don't think it's that he couldn't do it. I think he chose not to. Oh, no, I he think, did. Yeah, he turned it down. I, I think I think he wanted his character to be a little bit more real in that he was world weary and 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 just didn't have the patience for you know he he, he didn't want to deal with stupidity <laughs> and whereas bond bond <laughs> was a little quicker to you know he rose above it all or rises above it all because bond is still a viable character but uh but he he will uh humor people to some extent uh whereas i think you know mcguin's character is just unwilling to humor people he was born in 1928 so that puts him like yeah, right he was around 40 late. No, he was in his late, he would be in his late thirties because this was aired in nineteen well, seven. Okay, so yeah, yeah thirty eight, so thirty eight or so probably when they filmed it. Yeah, and he looks, he looks like he closer looks, to fifty. He looks late thirties. Really. No, do you think? I think he looks about forty. Oh, yeah. 
Don't be trying to age Pat Patrick McGowan. You know, don't be don't be aging sex, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, overall, I think we're kind of dancing around. This isn't one of my favourite episodes. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's perfectly viable. I think the way it's shot and the fact that it doesn't feel like an episode of The Prisoner for most of it is interesting because loads of TV shows now will do that. Loads of TV shows now will do off-concept episodes where it's black and white or it's a musical or it's Shakespeare or whatever. But The Prisoner was one of the first ones to do that. Whereas this, if you come in halfway through this, you may think you've tuned into Danger Man mm. and not to The Prisoner. And I kind of like that vibe of it. I think that's exactly the vibe they were going for. Yeah. And I think they were successful in doing that. And I, I, I don't know. I found it entertaining. I, I... Oh, no, it is. It's great. It's, it's not in any way bad. But where I was going with that is that the writer, Anthony Skeen, repurposed this for a TV show he did a couple of years later. He basically just repurposed the entire plot. And I think if you can do that with a show, then that plot wasn't... What's the word I'm looking at? It wasn't inherent to that show. If you can just take mm. a story, repurpose it for another show, then it's not a story that was necessarily written for that show. If you can you, tell you, that story anywhere else. Do you, do you know what that's like? That's like the Star Wars comic books from the 80s, where they used a bunch of, uh, like, John, John Carter, Carter stories. Issues, yeah. And, yeah, I know what you mean. I, yeah. I just throw them in there, change the artwork. But you could tell. Now, I I anticipated when, when, you know, with the A, B, and C and knowing there were going to be three different scenarios, I I anticipated it being kind of the Rashomon thing where it was going to be the same exact thing just from a different perspective, uh, which they kind of changed my expectations on that and didn't really present it that way. They presented a, a totally different scenario as opposed to just a different perspective. Uh, so I thought that was cool, uh, you know, that it, that it didn't do what I anticipated. Hmm. And it is satisfying from the minute he figures out what's going on and he, he changes, he turns the tables on him and starts doing it his own way. Because there's there's, his performance changes. And it also leaves some mystery to, you know, what was actually going on there. Yeah. Because so you'll never, never not... find out because they never find out. I, it's not... <laughs> That's, there is no bad episode of The Prisoner, but there are less good ones, and I kind of think this is a less good one. Ah, uh, see, I like this, and maybe it's because of the the turn at the end. How it, it, that this is more, this feels more like a number two episode than a number six episode, in that we're seeing more behind the stresses of being number two. And, you know, he's constantly getting the phone calls. He's he's terrified of that phone ringing, and especially at the end, the last shot to where the phone rings. And, uh, of course, it rings and he doesn't react to it quite on cue. <laughs> but mm. but I I really enjoy this one because of the performance of number two. And and and, you know, that six gets gets a little gets a little dig at him. And it is nice to see it from Two's perspective that this, what happens to him when he fails. Yeah, he's he's terrified. Yeah. And you wonder what does happen to him. He well, gets he gets roverized. <laughs> liquidated. If you've ever seen Killing Zoe, I've never seen Killing Zoe. 
But apparently there is a character in Killing Zoe who names this the best episode of The Prisoner. So hmm. six of one, half a dozen of the other. Okay, I guess it's time to rate. <laughs> Andy? Um, If we're going out of six, I think this is a four. Ooh. I'm going to say that's a little harsh because I think that the, what you're doing is you're you're rating it on a prisoner scale uh, as opposed to just that, an entertainment scale. Well, as opposed to just a pure entertainment scale. Uh, you know, you're, you're yeah, looking at I, it, I, I, you're I, I, comparing I, it to the other episodes and dropping it down because of that, as opposed to just saying, you know, in a vacuum, what do I think of this episode? And that's fine, but it, I think that's the difference. I'm I'm looking at it in a vacuum and I'm giving it a five. I'm with uh, Andy, and I gave it a four as well. Oof. Well, I, don't, I think we also need to reiterate here. Four is not a bad rate. No, no, no. Out of six, four's damn good. Well, I'm going to give it uh, five vials of psychotropic uh, uh, hallucinogenic <laughs> dream, dream drugs. So I'll, I'm going to give it A, B, C, D, and E. I was recently having a conversation uh, about a movie, and uh, I was asked, you know, what would I rank it out of 10? And I said it was 7 out of a 10, which to me is a very strong rating. Yeah, that's perfectly viable rating. And the conversation went to comparing that to school grades. And, and uh, it was like, oh, you're only giving it like a 70? You know, meaning like it's just a little better than passing. I was like, but that's not how it works with movies. <laughs> so, you know, with movies, like a five is average, and then you're going up from there or down from there. Uh, you know, five, it's not like, you know, 65 is passing or something like that. So I, I think that's that's the perspective that people, you know, have to kind of look at when, when they rank these things is keep in mind, you know, the scale we're working on. We haven't had, I don't think we've had any ratings below a four yet. So no. we're, saying, we're saying that, you know, we're saying the show's really, really good at its worst. Yeah. I also think as well, social media has to play a point in this, where suddenly everything has become either the best ever or the worst ever. And there's no conversation. There's no middle ground because it isn't. Not everything is the worst ever and not everything is the best ever. Some things are a seven out of a ten. The perfectly entertaining, the perfectly enjoyable. You enjoy it in the moment that you watch it and then you go on with your life. I, I think seven out of ten on a movie is even better than that. Yeah, honestly, I, I don't think that's a poor. I think a, I think a five or a six is what you just described. I think a five yeah, is no, what you described. Enough. Yeah, I think a seven is is above seven. acceptable. Yeah, seven is is I enjoyed it a lot, you know, but it's not going to change my life. Yeah, it's not one of those things. I will go back and rewatch that specific episode if I'm going to choose an episode of The Prisoner. There are others I would choose above this, but that is not in any way to say that I think this was a bad episode. And if I, I was watching, if I was doing a rewatch of The Prisoner, I would never pass up this episode. No, I wouldn't skip over it either. Whereas, like, there are episodes of Star Trek, we go, oh, I'm not going to bother with this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to, yeah, there's a few of those. <laughs> yeah. Looking I'm, at I'm you, re- looking at you Cloud Miners. I was just going to say the Cloud, just no, I'm not going to watch the Cloud Miners again. I'll wreck room for Methuselah. I'm not going to bother with that one again. Uh, space hippies. I'm not, I'm not yeah, going to bother with the Eden. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to bother with the way to Eden again. Herbert, Herbert, Herbert. But anyway. And the, that's children, what... and the children should lead back and go in the <laughs> bin. Hey, just oh. to see Melvin Belli. 
But the best thing about that, right, I can't even remember which film it is now. Brian Cox plays him in a movie, and they mention that episode of Star Trek. See, you know, knowing that my favorite TV show of all time was The Odd Couple, uh, there's an episode where uh, Felix is going on trial for something, and, and he, he says, Melvin Belli, that's who I need. And Oscar says, he wouldn't touch it. And Felix's response was, who needs him? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's what we thought of the episode. But what does Blaine say? No song. Blaine no longer ranks for songs. Sorry, sorry. I have a howling dog in the background. And I keep having to mute. We should have three different songs for Blaine today, but we have This none. is Andy's gig now. Is it? Yes. Was that in the contract? You, you've swapped. You do we the song and, and Bill does next time. Okay. Well, can I do what's his name again? Let's you can do listen whatever you like. to what Blaine says. Let's listen to Blaine says. Let's listen to what Blaine says. Let's listen to Blaine says. There you go. <laughs> Blaine says. Hi, guys. Well, we get a nice look at some of the people the number six has passed. When the series first aired, BBC ran this one third, and I wonder if that element is why. The BBC did not err the prisoner. It's... The BBC have never heard the prisoner. Okay. It's ITV. Okay. <laughs> Blaine continues. Knowing more about the hero generally makes him or her more relatable to the average audience member. I openly admit that I want to know more about his relationship with B, for starters. I also hope he will eventually find out who C is, but I doubt that this is the kind of show that feels obligated to tie up all of its loose ends, so that is unlikely to happen. I do wonder about the security of the village, though. For a facility that seems to be able to call up anyone on camera at any time, it's terrible about keeping the intended victim out of the super-secret laboratory. Next up, Living in Harmony is episode 14 on iTunes. Well, I, I kind of agree with Blaine on the giving you backgrounds on, on number two without really giving you backgrounds and you know that it makes the character a little bit more uh again i, I don't want to use the word relatable because i think he's supposed to be above us all but somebody who you can kind of watch and kind of understand a little better you know something i just thought of i never really put together uh until listening to blaine um so number six asks b what is your son's name? How old is he? Could it be implied that they have a child together because it's not in the quote unquote book that um no. stop whining. My wife decided to go to the store and now the dog's not happy. Uh, but but that's I'm left home that's with Bill. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else could be bothered to get up and, you know, it's not like I'm doing a podcast and nobody, you know, everybody doesn't know that, but whatever. But, um, but no. Um, so, you know, could it be implied that he had a child with her? I suppose it could be. And it's, you know, off books, off record. I think shows like this are intentionally ambiguous as to all things such as that. Yeah, I don't think, I think that's purely us reading into it. But I mean, I don't know, yeah. just a, just a side theory. I thought he was just making it up to screw with them. Mm -hmm. Files incomplete? How could this be possible? Which wouldn't be beyond him to be doing that. True. Plus, uh, I think he would have chosen a much better looking lady. 
Oh. <laughs> now, now. <laughs> All right. That's so next I... episode. Oh, sorry. Speaking <laughs> of which, I guess it's time to figure out what we're going to do next time. Next time on an all-new episode. Once upon a time in the West, there was the good, the bad, and the ugly, but we're going to be living in harmony. By what strange manipulation of time is the prisoner taken back to the Old West? Raw, rough, and brutal. But they call it living in harmony. What's wrong with our town, mister? Maybe I don't like the way it's run. Oh, you just do as the judge says. He'll look after you. I look after myself. It's a good town. Keep it. So you don't like our town, huh? You insult us! The girl in the saloon was his appealing ally in a town ruled by corruption. Let justice be done. What's the charge? Against you, none. You're free to go. The people of Harmony against Katherine Johnson. You're accused of aiding a prisoner to escape. The prisoner is dealt rough justice in his next brawling adventure on this channel. That's next? It yes. is next. I'm not sure that should be this early. Uh, that's the uh, uh, that's that's the this is the version that we've uh, we are not doing the Andy Leyland viewing order. Yeah, we're yes. doing whatever this viewing order is. Okay. You have living in harmony. It's your funeral. Do not forsake me, oh my darling. A change of mind. Hammer to anvil. The girl who was death. Once upon a time and fallout. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So next time, it's a western. Okay. Yeah. We'll see you all then, partner. Ta-da. Adios. Ciao, bella. Machachos. Bill's looking for the spaghetti western. (laughs) (laughs) I just like some spaghetti. Who are you? The village people. Who are? The supervisor, Paul Spataro. The chess master, Dave Pascarella. Rover. Dr. Bill Robinson and Andrew Leyland as the butler. The village people investigating the prisoner. So I finally saw the end of Game of Thrones last night. Oh, oh good. You? Good, good, good. Yeah. Good. I, d- I didn't care for the final resolution. Well, I mean, I... I'll just use the, you know, Will Ferrell, Ron Burgundy quote. Well, that escalated quickly. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, but I kind of see, you know, I don't know. If, I mean, it's all right. I wasn't, was you know, fine. I didn't see all this. Like, oh, my God, this is ruined. Oh, oh I don't what? I don't go with that. <laughs> you know, it was. It was fine. But, but, you know, the thing about it is, and it's not the last episode, it's the last two seasons, is, you know, they they had a pace on the show, and it was a slow, methodical pace with action worked in. And then, because they got to the point where 
one, the stories hadn't been published yet, and two, or even written, you know, fully out yet, and two, they decided we're going to finish this in two seasons, so that to escalate the pace to such a point where if you were watching it just for the action, it was very satisfying, but if you were watching it for the interaction and the character moments and, you know, this one's a bastard and this one, you know, just let the suspense build up, that all left the show for the last two seasons. Well, was it a case where they were, I mean, I haven't seen any numbers, I don't know anything, um, where they weren't getting as much or as many people as they were, so, you know... No, the... no, it was oh, not okay. driven at all. And George okay. R. R. Martin was like, he wanted it to go for 15, 16 seasons. And oh, I think geez. the way he Sounds... writes and the way they did the first, yeah. whatever, five or six seasons, that's the way it was paced. And I, I'm like, I'm with Paul here. I think that if he'd have made, if he'd have wrote the books, yeah, then maybe that, that's on him that he didn't finish the books. Well, and he probably never will. In all, no, like, that's the, what I mean. You know, and there's, but I also think based on comments and interviews and stuff, I think either the actors had had enough, ten years in the same job, fine, six months of a year away from your families. I get that. Mm-hmm. And renegotiating contracts was going to become incredibly expensive on such a large cast. I think an awful lot of that played into it. Mm. Yeah, production costs go up, you know, with with the casts yeah. as they became more and more famous. So it's you know, whatever it's. It is what it is. I mean, it, it was to me, it was a little unsatisfying, but it wasn't. It wasn't that I could sit there and say I didn't, that I had a serious problem with the, uh, you know, the, 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 what they, what they decided the resolution would be. I didn't really, you know, that didn't matter. It, it, but, you know, we, we talk about it's, it's not about the, uh, the destination. It's about the journey. And they changed the way we were traveling in the journey. Well, it's almost like when she finally got the Westeros, they just stepped on the gas and like, okay, let's go. Yeah, but but they, See, the I mean, thing is, they did I, I sacrifice bought the box set for Christmas, and we watched them all again beginning of this year, and it's it is seeded from the beginning. What yeah. Daenerys is going to do, it only comes out of the blue if you've not been paying attention. Yeah, because she says she it, yeah. doesn't at some point she says she's she's in the throne room, she sees the Iron Throne, and there's snow, or is it ash? You know, in in the air. So. Yeah, it is. It's all duh. I I think an awful lot of people who got upset with it were the ones who had an emotional attachment to her as a character and wanted her to be the ruler at the end. But there's, there was something I've talked about this with Angela a lot. Something I read the other day was really interesting. That you can sit and watch a horror film and you're slagging them off. Don't go in the basement. Don't go upstairs. All of that bullshit. But they don't know they're in a horror film. And somebody was equating this to Game of Thrones in. The- and he said the characters in Game of Thrones that survived were the ones who figured out what story they were in. Hmm. And Daenerys never did. Whereas Sansa thought she was in the story of the fairy tale princess and marrying the king. And then when she realized she wasn't in that story and toughened up, she survived. Arya realized from the minute her dad got his head chopped off what story she was in and what she would have to do to survive. And this was one of the best articles I've ever read on writing an audience participation ever because suddenly you're like fucking hell yeah you're right just because you know what genre you're watching 
But the characters in that thing don't know that. Yeah, like Ned Stark. He didn't yeah, figure Ned out Stark until it was too a, late. He thought he was in a story of honourable men mm-hmm. and warriors and military and, and chain of command and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> Joffrey quickly disabused him of that notion. And you know what? To be fair, until until Joffrey disabused him of that notion, I thought he was in that story too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was such one of those things where you go, oh yeah, you're right. You take it for granted you know what genre you're watching. And the ones who survive are always the characters who figure out what they're in, what story they're in. And I thought that was so clever, and I'd never really... I'd never thought of it that way before. Did, well, I mean, I guess it's all in the title. They figured out that they were playing the game. If they didn't figure out they were yeah. playing the game, then they lost. Mm. I was quite satisfied with uh, Littlefinger's uh, yeah. fate. Oh, yeah, that was... I felt, uh, I, I felt I a bit actually... sorry for them. For, for the, was it Varys? I felt a little bit sorry for oh, him. That, yeah. When she killed him, that's where you're like, okay, you've crossed the line now. And if you couldn't see that at that point she was heading down the wrong path, I'm like, well, what show have you been watching for the past eight years? Well, even when she when she burned up the Tarleys. Yeah. You know. She was always very much, it's my way or the highway. It suddenly becomes not about freeing the slaves and freeing Westeros and all that. It becomes about her being on the throne. But everybody wanted her to be more noble than that. That's that's yeah, the, where the disappointment everybody comes from. Wanted they wanted her, yeah. her to be better. They wanted her to be better than that, and at the end of the day, she wasn't. <laughs> in, in, in the end, she was more similar to her brother Viserys than people wanted yeah. to think. Yeah. Now somebody needs to take the uh, the Tears for Fear song and put put it over some gate some Game of Thrones scenes. Everybody wants to <laughs> rule the world. Did you have you watched the new one? Uh, no, that's why I've been powering through the last two seasons because right. I had stalled in the middle of season seven, and I uh, I I pushed my way through. I don't know why I stalled. Uh, well, probably because I had lost HBO access and then mm. only just, just recently got it back. Denied. Watching. Yes. Mm. So uh, How, House of the Dragons really good, and we really got into it and really enjoyed it. It only follows one family and people who orbit that family, so it's a little bit easier to get into. You don't have to remember, you know, entire cities worth of people's character names. Mm. But the only problem with it is going in. I think it's better if you know halfway through they keep recasting. Because, because there are, it, there's because like there's, ages, there's months and years between episodes. Mm. So and you've just got used to those actors playing that role, and all of a sudden it's another actor, and you're sat there going, "So is that what's the name? Is that still Alison?" And you get it takes some getting used to. But by the same token, some actors they don't recast. So Matt Smith goes through the entire series and never looks any older. Mm. And the king, oh, what's his name? Reciffins. Reciffins goes through the entire series. Never looks any older. Hmm. Paddy Constantine goes through the entire series, but they make him age. <laughs> so well, it's really are, weird. Are, some of the, are any of these characters supposed to be like kind of ageless? Well, I think I think Matt Smith with the with 
does Daenerys and all that blonde lot do they age at the same age we do? I don't know. Right, so Angela doesn't think so, so Matt Smith just doesn't age. <laughs> well, because you had one of, there was uh, Maester Aemon at uh, Castle Black was a Targaryen. Hmm. But he was pretty old. But, you know, yeah, but being in a close, he maybe he was like 700. Well, yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Will yeah. we see his character in um, House of the Dragon? I don't know. Don't know. I no, House of the Dragon is 900 years before. 900? Oh, Jesus Christ. I didn't know it was that. I don't know. Before. Or is it 400? Maybe 400. Well, maybe that's a road of lifetime. That, yeah. That's, that's uh, fucking crazy Star Trek Discovery shit there. Yeah, it's a long time before because they just didn't want to have to deal with people going, are we going to see? And they couldn't be asked for any of that shit. Because mm. it's based on, it is based on George R. R. Martin's book, but he's give them like 400 years worth of material but ah. apparently i've not read the book but apparently the book each chapter skips forward many many years so they've got potential for this show to carry on for decades wait did he write a book that was a prequel because i did i never read that yes, i only read like it is the... new that's what? what pissed a lot of people yeah 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 there you go it pissed oh, a lot of people it. off that he wrote this but didn't finish a song of fire and ice yeah and it's one of those things, I love Neil Gaiman, and I agree with him. He's not our performing monkey. He's not there to write on demand. But at the same time, he's made a commitment to write however many books this series will be, and he hasn't published a book in a decade. Mm. And he's like 90 yeah. and not in good health. Yeah, what's <laughs> he been doing? Martin. So at this rate, I think, I think Bill's right. I don't think it's ever going to get finished. Yeah. I gave away all my Game of Thrones books because I'm like, I'm tired of this t- taking up space on my shelf. 